It's good to see you. Uh, my name's Stephen. I am one of the uh, elders here at the branch, and uh, I have the privilege of uh, serving as the primary communicator on Sundays, as of like last week. So uh, we're still getting the shaking the rust off. I, I, I want to do a few things as we start. So if you were if you're here today, I said this last week, and you're expecting us to be in Exodus. We pushed Exodus to right after Easter. So uh, we felt like. We needed as a church just to kind of settle in. Last week we talked through Acts chapter 2, which is really the foundation, uh, the propulsion of the church. What are we to do? That's what we talked about last week from Acts 2.42. And this week we're pressing into Palm Sunday, and I'll I'll lay that out here in a minute. And then next week we're really going to just spend time celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And so um, Exodus will come then, all right? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the Gospel of John chapter 12. And so as I'm doing that, I want to do a couple of things. There's been a lot going on in the life of our church. And I want to highlight a few of those things. And uh, one is baby Elsie Patterson was born this week. I think we have a picture uh, of her up here. Um, If you've not ever seen Josiah, that's the lady version of Josiah. So uh, Congratulations to Jared and Abby, and uh, they're part of our family group, so just an exciting time uh, in the life of our church. You'll, if you look around and pay attention, there's a lot of strollers, there's a lot of like little uh, car seat carriers, it's just a bunch of babies, and so um, it certainly is a blessing, and we don't want to miss that. Uh, also, there are a handful of new members that we want to just recognize real quickly as we start today, and I said this last week, but membership isn't this elitism here. It is a covenant to one another, and so uh, those people are Ty Kelly. Uh, I don't know if Ty's here. Ty's right over here. He's a part of our family group. Uh, we love Ty. Uh, Chase and Jamie Taburin in the back. They're, what family group are you guys in? They're in the Dupree group. Uh, Lucy. Where's Lucy Tomei? Are they here today? I haven't seen them. I also don't know what group they're in. Hi, I'm Stephen. I'm new here. Um, Marshall and Jean Combs are uh, new members. They're relatively new to Dahlonega and part of the Staples group, I think. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, just an exciting time in the life of our church. I think one of the things that we've, we've tried to really press into is just the Lord's provision for our congregation over the last handful of months as uh, our founding pastor transitions out and, and I transition in and our elders kind of step in and step up. And the Lord has just been super gracious. I mean, we just announced, what is that, six new, new members we got new babies. Uh, it's an exciting time to be at the branch. So what I want to do today is I want to lay out a little bit of, of where we are in church history. What is Palm Sunday? And today is Palm Sunday, and it really is the beginning. There's Jared. There's a, we just celebrated, you guys. You missed it. Uh, yeah. um, Palm Sunday is, uh, is the beginning of Holy Week. And uh, it falls in the church calendar uh, a week before Resurrection Sunday, which is is next week. And so uh, Palm Sunday is the day when uh, Jesus uh, journeys into Jerusalem um, and is presented, he's coronated really by the people in Jerusalem with palm branches and they're singing his praises. And you've heard the the, the term Hosanna, uh, which really just means, Lord, save us, or even more emphatically, save us now. Okay, and so we'll press into what Hosanna means for our lives here in a little bit. But when we talk through the church calendar, there's a few dates around this time of year that I want to point out that maybe you are familiar with. Maybe you're not, depending on the type of church that you grew up in. The church that I grew up in did a little bit of Palm Sunday. We did zero Ash Wednesday. Okay, so that kind of gives you a little bit of like the trajectory of the church that I grew up in. But Ash Wednesday is what kicks off the Lenten season. Okay, so have you ever given anything up for Lent? 
Does your family ever practice that? We didn't do it much either. We don't practice it now with our children. Um, but Lent is the beginning of this, this journey really to the cross for Jesus. And so what the church would do on Ash Wednesday is they gather together really as a solace remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, and they would put ashes on their forehead um, as a way to remind them of the work of uh, God in the world. From dust you will come, and dust you will return. And so they put ashes on their head. Uh, Today is Palm Sunday, and so this is the triumphal entry, uh, really Jesus' march towards Golgotha, which is where he uh, eventually would be crucified. Then we have Holy Monday, Holy Tuesday, Holy Wednesday. Okay, those are easy enough, right? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We just put holy in front of them because they fall on the Passion Week, uh, Holy Week. And then Maundy Thursday. Has anybody ever heard of Maundy Thursday before? You ever done a Maundy service, uh, Thursday service? No? So this is, um, you have, a couple of you have. You grew up Presbyterian, so you probably did. Um, shout out to you. Um, Maundy Thursday is really the, is where uh, God's people will come together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, just like the disciples did with Jesus across the table. It's a, uh, it's a day where uh, Jesus would wash the disciples' feet. We're going to do foot washing here at the end of the service, so if you feel uncomfortable, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that today. We will take communion, though. Uh, leave your shoes on. There's a sign on the door. You will not be served, okay? Um, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Um, come find me later. I'll tell you the story that's in my head. It's not appropriate for the podcast. Okay? Uh, Then he journeyed into the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. And this is one of the most profound moments really in uh, the biblical text where Jesus is is going and he's praying and he's sweating blood and he's just fervor of prayer, right? I mean, it is a great prayer that he's praying. He tells his disciples, hey, would you pray with me? And it really is Jesus' first plea for other people to participate in what he's about to walk through, okay? And what happens? They fall asleep. And then they fall asleep again, and they fall asleep again, right? And so that is what we're doing on the Maundy Thursday service. We will have a Good Friday service uh, this coming Friday, which is really where we come in, uh, not necessarily solitude, but really in a solemn service where we, we press into the brutality of Jesus' death, okay? And so that's, we'll do that right here. Uh, I hope you'll join us at the six, six o'clock here. And so that's Good Friday, and then Holy Saturday is really a day of silence and reflection, a day of rest. Um, the Jewish people would use this as a feast day as they get ready for Resurrection Sunday, and then obviously Easter Sunday. Have you ever heard of Easter before? It's on the church calendar too. So, uh, but on Palm Sunday, the uh, I we did as kids. Maybe you did this too. But you would be given a palm branch, and um, and you would just like shake the mess out of the thing, like you were at a football game or something, right? You didn't really know what to do with it. But this was a sign of victory. It was a sign of peace. Even when a new king would come in, they would take palm branches and they would lay them at the feet of the stallion of the horse that would bring in the new king. And we see this with Jesus, except for it's not a horse, it's a, what is it? It's a donkey, right? It's a different kind of king. But still, the people don't know what to do. God's people have always asked for a king, right? If you read through the Old Testament, they've wanted a king from day one. As soon as they were kicked out of the garden, they were longing for someone to rule and reign over them. And yet they had a perfect and loving God who would rule and reign over them. They just didn't want to submit to that king. And so they called for another king, and we see the coronation of Saul. We see then King David. And then we see a whole line of good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, okay? So read your Bible, and this stuff begins to make a lot of sense. But the people wanted specifically in Jesus' day, they wanted peace and deliverance from the Romans. The Romans had perfected the art of uh, death. 
They were brutal people. And the cross, the gibbet, the post that they would hang Jesus on was designed for one thing and one thing only and to be as excruciating as possible. And so what we want to do today is we want to press into Christ's journey. And so in John chapter 12, we're going to read from uh, the Gospel of John. Every, uh, book, every Gospel book has a triumphal entry narrative. Okay, So Matthew, Mark, Luke, which are the synoptic Gospels, so they have a lot in common. John is a little bit different if you haven't read it, but we're going to study today uh, from the Gospel of John. And I love where, I love how John lays the story out. I love where he puts it in his, in his book. Uh, it's coming right off of Mary anointing Jesus with really expensive oil. Judas, the betrayer, is the one who complains about how expensive the oil was. Okay, so I, want, I really want you to understand the context of where Jesus is. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. By the way, when you raise people from the dead, you get the attention of people who don't necessarily like you. Okay, so Jesus was doing all kinds of things, right? He had uh, blind people were beginning to see, lame people were beginning to walk, deaf people could hear, uh, a little girl was raised from the dead. And then this Lazarus moment is really the one that put the, the people of, in authority on edge. And it was this guy who'd been dead for a while has been raised to life. And so there's now a plot to kill Jesus in place. And Jesus is coming into Bethany from Bethage. And uh, in the beginning of chapter 12, it says it was the sixth day before, six days before Passover, and Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was. So that's uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Let's look at verse 12, and I'm going to read down through verse 19, and then I'm uh, just going to pray and kind of steady us into Palm Sunday. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. This is quoting back from Zechariah chapter 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they, what is that word? They remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign, which is the resurrection of Lazarus. Verse 19, so the Pharisees, the rulers of the day, the religious folk, said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we're just reminded of your great sovereignty over our lives as we gather on this Palm Sunday, we recognize Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, uh, the King who rules over all things, uh, all people, in all places. And so we, uh, now as we dive into your word, God, would you just give us clarity of what you would have us to hear, uh, remove me from the equation, Lord, and speak clearly to us uh, from your word. We love you. We trust you. I thank you for the church across the world this morning who's gathering together, some in freedom and some under persecution, some under uh, threat of violence and fear. We just pray that your church 
would raise up to sing praises to your name today. So we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that we see right at the beginning, last week we talked from Acts chapter 2, the church had just had exploded, right? We just announced six new members. They went from like zero to 3,000. So we're just a little bit behind where they were. We're going to catch up. So don't worry. Just keep, we'll just get there eventually, right? Uh, but the crowds around Jesus had done the same thing. The crowds had exploded. And the people of God were journeying back into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so with, after Jesus raised raises Lazarus from the dead, now there's this, there's this murmur, right? News is spreading that there's this one who's raising dead people. And what would you do if there was somebody in your town who'd raise dead people? You might run, but you also might go see, right? I would like to think that we would go see. Um, and that's what was going on here. So they're already coming together for the celebration of the Passover. Now it's being climaxed with the resurrection of dead people. So in verse 12, it says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the crowds were great, and they were growing at a rapid, rapid rate. So one of the things that we've got to remember is that Jesus often fled the crowd up until this point. So when he's doing works in Gethsemane, when he's doing works around the, um, the Sea of Galilee, the crowds gather, and what does he do? He retreats. And the crowds gather, and then he retreats. This time, the crowd gathers, and he goes forward. Okay? And so Jesus was being sent, and he knew exactly what he was being sent to do. I often think when we read through this idea of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that the Father was whispering into Jesus, hey, this is it. This is my will for you. And Jesus would often pray, not my will, but your will be done. Right? And he prays that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he is arrested. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think a lot of times in church what we do, and, and I'm not going to accuse church, but maybe we accuse ourselves, is we learn a lot about who Jesus is. We learn a lot about what he does, what he has done. Right? So we're going to study the parables, we're going to study the Gospels, and we're going to learn a lot about Jesus. Wouldn't you say? That's a good thing, right? Oftentimes we do that at the expense of actually knowing Him. And what I want us to do, and the reason I wanted to lay out the church calendar is because there have been people, Christians, for centuries who've gone before us celebrating today, Palm Sunday, as this triumphal entry, pressing into a really hard week. Is that okay for us to say that? Good Friday is hard. It's hard for me. Like I think about, I try not to think about like other people. I try to really press into what God's done in my life on Good Friday. And sometimes I look at my life and I'm like, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for him to take that on and to bear it on the cross. It's okay to press into that, but we have been made worthy by his sacrifice. And so what I want us to do in this season, and certainly into Good Friday, in the day of rest on Holy Saturday, and in, we're going to do this, I promise you this, on Easter, is to press into who is this Jesus? Who is he? Right? He has done great things. We're singing songs that have said he has done great things, and we need to be reminded of those great things. But if we forget who he is, then what he has done doesn't matter. Are we good there? So I want us to really press in. So if you have your Bible, flip over to Hebrews chapter 2 and you just stick a finger there. I just want to give you a little heads up. We studied Hebrews about a year ago and uh, wrapped it up, I think, in the fall at some, some point. And, um, but I want us to go back there just to echo back into uh, Hebrews. 
But as we do this, I want to use, I want to use a quote, and before I use the quote, I want to use somebody else's quote to lay out the foundation for this other quote. Okay, so just follow along and I'll help you catch up here in a second. The first comes from Eugene Peterson, who's really one of my heroes of the faith. If you didn't know it, he wrote the Bible. Eugene did the message, right? Uh, which is a helpful tool. It's not, the, uh, it's not the actual word of God. He would tell you that. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. But it's proved, I think, for a lot of people to be really helpful in understanding maybe if you're new to faith. Okay, so I'm not certainly going to shame his effort. His, his effort is remarkable. Okay, but he did a lot of really good work for pastors. And so he wrote a book called uh, The Contemplative Pastor, which was really transformative in my life. Read it about 10 years ago. And this quote comes from there. He says, a one generational church. And what he means is not a singular generation. So like we're all college students or we're all old people, but a single, like the branch only exists during our lifetime and dies off after we're gone. Okay, so a single, a one generation church, that's what he's meaning, is capable of generating energy, but there are no roots When the emotions wear off or difficulty arrives, it withers. Soon there is nothing to show for it. Without a cultivated memory, and this is where I want us to press in, listen here. Without a cultivated memory, we live from hand to mouth on fad and novelty. But Christians don't sprint out of the starting blocks in each generation in a race for heaven. We are on a relay team. We have a heritage, a richly composted family. We need to know these members of our family who lived lives similar to what we are trying to live and live them well. As we get to know them, we are less isolated. We are not orphans. We are not alone. We are not misfits. Okay? So I say that to now go a little bit further back. So Eugene died a handful of years ago. Um, and so we're going to go back even before him to John Calvin, who in his commentary on the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, wrote this. And the reason we use quotes sometimes is to help lay out this grid of where we're going. And Calvin says this specifically around the cross of Christ. He says, For although in the cross there is nothing but curse, It was nevertheless swallowed up by the power of God in such a way that it is put on, as it were, a new nature. For there is no tribunal so magnificent, no throne so stately, no show of triumph so distinguished, no chariot so elevated, as is the gibbet, which is the the cross, the post on which he was nailed, on which Christ has subdued death and the devil, the prince of death. Nay, more, has utterly trodden them under his feet. And if God's people said, Amen. (laughs) Okay? Although in the cross there is nothing but curse, it was swallowed up. We had just finished studying Genesis as our primer for this delayed Exodus study, if you'll remember. Um, And at the end of Genesis, Joseph says, What you meant for harm, What you meant for evil, God has meant for good. What the Romans meant for evil changed the trajectory of human history forever. A perfect sacrifice nailed hand and feet to a wooden, splintered, dirty old tree redeemed God's people once and for all. Up until this point, God's people had been bringing sacrifices day in, day out, week after week after week. Every, the church calendar meant something to them because if they forgot their sacrifice, guess what? They had to wait. And when you're in sin, you don't want to wait. You want forgiveness. And so Jesus comes 
and he takes on this instrument that was used for excruciating pain, excruciating death. We often uh, breeze by uh, the cross in the sense of, the, of his death, and we'll do this some on Friday. But they would nail you to the cross, and the way that you would breathe is you would have to push yourself up to take a breath, and then you would collapse back down. Right? That's what I mean when the Romans had perfected torture. It is that. And if you survive long enough, they club you. Okay? So they break your legs so you can't push up. And eventually you would suffocate. But Jesus, on the triumphal entry, he goes from a coronation to a crucifixion. He goes from a throne. The people wanted to throne him, enthrone him as king. He goes from a throne to a cross. The people go from shouting Hosanna, which we've established means save us, to crucify him. Save us now to kill him now. So what Jesus has done and who is he? So Hebrews chapter 2, listen to this. This is verse 5. I'm going to read just for a minute. It says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. What's included in everything? All of it. Everything. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Verse 9, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus' glorious sacrificial suffering and death required him to become fully man. It wasn't something that he could do without experiencing pain. It wasn't something that he could do having ever experienced sin. He must have lived a perfect life. So what has he done is important. But if he came as anything other than the Son of God, then we're still waiting for someone else. Do you understand that? If he's anyone other than the second person of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, then we're still waiting for another Savior. Now we're here today because we believe that that one who was crucified, dead, and buried rose again. If he was still in the tomb, then he isn't Lord. But he wasn't. The tomb is found empty and he's made King, I love verse 9 when it says, We see him for who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And it's like, hey, remember Jesus? Namely Jesus. He was the one that came down, was lower than the angels for a time. And then what does it say? He was crowned with glory. And he was given honor that he had not received on earth. He died a criminal's death. He was mocked and tortured, and yet he journeyed towards that death on a donkey. He knew as he was coming in, the people didn't yet know, the disciples, we, we just read that in John, they didn't yet know what was happening. And Jesus goes and he tells them to bring a donkey back, and he hops on, and he rides in, and the people are shouting, would you save us, would you save us, would you save us? 
And as he goes forward into Jerusalem, the tone changes, doesn't it? It goes from would you save us to let's kill him because he really is who he says he is. He really is the Son of God. And if he's the Son of God, then my power and my authority is not grand enough. I am not enough. That's what the rulers, the Pharisees of the day, that was their thinking. If he really is the Son of God, then he must die because he was a threat. If he can raise dead people, I can't raise dead people. Can you? Well, I can't, I can't even like, put my kids' socks on the right way. Right? But Jesus kept going. And I often think, and you probably heard this said in your life with Christ, and if you're, if you're new to church, if you're not a Christian, what a time to come into church. As we, this is the climax of the church, okay, what we're doing this week and next. All right? And for the record, we do it just about every week. We're always pointing back to a resurrected Savior. But as we press into this triumphal entry in this long week ahead with a really dark day coming, there's a brighter day coming. And so maybe you're here because you've heard stories about this Jesus before. And maybe you've heard people in the church and their actions and their words never really lined up. That's true. Mine haven't either. There have been times when I haven't always been who I want to be, right? Even Paul writes like this. Why do I do the things that I don't want to do and I don't do the things I should do? He's human. And yet there was one who was fully God and fully man. And this is the Jesus, the Lord, the King of kings that we're talking about. And so this week as we journey towards Good Friday, and I want us to really press in. Would you do that? Can we just covenant together? Maybe you won't be here Friday, but wherever you are, press into the darkness of the day. Because the reality is, for each of us, we forget our brokenness a lot of the time, don't we? We forget sometimes that we were saved from something, but we were also saved to someone, right? It was our brokenness that led to separation. We were in the garden. We took a big old bite out of that apple, right? This is going back to the beginning. And as we've pushed Exodus back, I hope you see the themes, even in Acts chapter 2 last week, of how God provides for his people. Yeah? Have you been here for this? If you haven't seen this yet, I'm going to make every, everybody's going to figure this out. Some go, what is he doing with this slum? Does God keep his promises? Yes, God always keeps his promises. And he did it then, and he's doing it today. He's doing it for us. All right? So I want to read a prayer. Um, caveat. I am a historical theologian. My degree actually says historical theology on it. So I love the old stuff, okay? Because I feel like if they did something 500 years ago and we still know that they did it, then there's probably something good and right in what they did, okay? That's my thesis. I'll draw it out later down the road, okay? But just trust me here for a minute. I want to read a prayer. Uh, and I said this last week because it's one of the four pillars of the church, right? You have the fellowship, you have the teaching of the apostles, you have the breaking of bread, and you have what? That was only like seven days ago, folks. Prayer, okay? You're welcome. Just bubble seed. Um, all right, I want to read a prayer to you, okay? Because as we read old prayer, I think it helps us give content and context to our prayer, okay? So listen to these words. It is right to praise you, Almighty God, for the acts of love by which you have redeemed us through your Son, 
Jesus Christ our Lord. On this day, he entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph and was proclaimed as king of kings by those who spread their garments and branches of palm along his way. Let those branches be for us signs of his victory and grant that we who bear them in his name may ever hail him as our king and follow him in the way that leads to eternal life who lives and reigns in glory with you and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. That is a robust, profound prayer. If you're having trouble this week praying, pray that. I'll send it to you. Ask me for it. Or you can screenshot it. I think you can screenshot things these days. But these, this rich texture of the church gives us a foundation to build our faith, right? This is what Eugene was getting at in his quote. It's a relay race. I often like to think of it as a slingshot, right? My parents rooted their post in the ground, and they pulled that thing back as far as they could, and when it was time to go, they let it go. And now guess what I've done? I went out maybe just a little bit, not as far as I'd hoped, but a little bit further out in front, and now I've put a stake in the ground, and I'm rearing, I'm pulling that sucker back as far as I can. Okay, And I eventually am going to let those three little ones that God's entrusted me with, and we're going to send them out. And if they don't have this kind of foundation, one, they're going to move back into our basement, which is not allowed. But two, they're going to flounder, right? This is, what, this is what we were getting at last week, and I'll just bring a little clarity of it. What got you here is what's going to keep you here. Okay, So if it was the richness of community, this is why you're going to come back. If it was the fantastic preaching, it's going to be what brings you back. But if it was some fancy gimmick or what he's talking about, Eugene was talking about when he said fads and novelties, those things wear off. And if that's why you're here, you won't last. You won't last. And I think this is one of the great failures we've done to younger Christians is we recruit them into youth group with free pizzas and fun things. And we put them down a water slide into baptism and then they go to college and they have no idea what to do with the, with the roots of their faith. The fastest growing population who's leaving the church is the 18-year-old who grew up in church every Sunday, every Wednesday. If they did Sunday night, they were there. But there was no grounds. There was no foundation for their faith. So what are we going to do here? We're going to build the foundation. We might not have the gimmicks. We might not have the... And those things aren't necessarily bad. Okay, so let me clarify that. Those aren't evil things. But if that's what's getting you here, eventually that's going to be why you leave here, okay? And so what I want us to do as we continue to press in, not just in Holy Week, but as we press into a church, as a church, as a body, as brothers and sisters, would we commit to doing that for each other? There is, uh, I want to, you don't have to go there, I think it's on the screen as we come to a close this morning, but Hebrews chapter 2 gives us this texture, right? And I keep using that word because it's so important. We're layering on, right? That's what we're doing on a Sunday. We're layering on little bits of faith, little bits of knowledge of God and knowledge of who he is, okay? Revelation chapter 7 kind of lands this plane so beautifully. I love this. This is Revelation 7 verses 9 and 10. It says, behold a great multitude. Here we are back to the masses, okay? Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the capital L Lamb. 
clothed in white robes with, what is that? Palm branches. With palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hosanna. Hosanna. God save us. That is our cry today. And the rest, throughout the rest of this week, he goes on a crazy journey towards the place of the skull, which is where he was crucified. And I hope that this week as a people, whether you're in a family group or you're, but here comes my thing, right? If you're in a family group or you're not in a family group, would you get in a family group? Because we're going to do this together this week. As we press into Easter coming a week from today, there are, there are a lot of intentional days between Palm Sunday and Easter. And I want us to press into them. And I hope you'll come on Friday. We close every service the same way, by going to the table. And the table is intentional, right? We try to say everything we do here is intentional, uh, except for picking up the trailer, okay? I, I forgot to pick up the trailer this morning. I didn't know that was on my job description, but the guys came in, the trailer didn't get here until like 8.30, and uh, we scrambled to get this ready. So props to everyone who was here early, my bad. But as we press into communion, we are, we're moving through remembrance, right? We're moving through the, being reminded of Christ's body broken and his blood spilled. And so we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is the word, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are a people who declares his death and resurrection because in his death we have also died and in his resurrection we have also been raised. That is the ethic of the Christian. That is the whole reason we're here. And so this week I pray that you would have a robust week, a faithful week. Press into yeah, every, every gospel has this story. We'll read them all and let it remind you of what Jesus has done. But all, let it also remind you of who he is. As we move uh, to communion, I just I pray that you would use this time in a way that is best for you. One of the things we're going to do just a little bit differently uh, is we want to really cultivate a, uh, a posture of prayer. And so our elders have always been in the back. We're going to move over to the side just to kind of create space for people to go take communion. So if you want to pray, our elders will be over here. So my right, your left. And uh, some of our other leaders, deacons and family group leaders will be there. So if you want to find somebody to pray with, there are people here who want to pray with you. And uh, you can do that in private. You can do that uh, over there, which is kind of private, okay? Um, so let me pray, and let's move into a time of communion. If you're new here, uh, we take the bread and we dip it in the cup as our way of remembering. So, uh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that uh, in your grand plan from the beginning as you spoke everything into creation your plan was to send 
your Son, our Lord Jesus, to come into the world to redeem the world. And so I pray that as we remember Christ's suffering, as we remember his death, that we would also remember that it was through his death and resurrection that we were brought to you, that we were brought back into right standing, brought back into a real rich relationship with the one who spoke us into existence. Father, I pray for those who are here today who uh, may be right on the fringe of faith. I pray that as they see the church in the world, that they would see clearly who you are and the things that you care about. Would you forgive us for the times we fail? And uh, help us, give us the courage and wisdom uh, to press in uh, this week and uh, Palm Sunday through Easter Sunday, but help us to press in as a people, as a body of believers committed to those who aren't here yet, to bringing the gospel as being bearers of good news in a broken and lost world. And thank you that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.